Welcome to Curiosity Taught the Cat, the podcast where we take animals you see every day, animals you've heard of, and animals you didn't know existed, and break them down in a single episode. Our goal as animal lovers is to spread knowledge and awareness about the creatures we share this floating rock with. We hope you learn something new. Welcome to Curiosity Taught the Cat. I'm Jack. I'm Julia. And what are we talking about today, Julia? Today we are talking about the eyelash viper. And so right off the bat, it has a bunch of different names. So eyelash viper, eyelash pit viper, the eyelash palm viper, the schlegel viper. Um, I know it's called the horn viper. It has a bunch of like different variations of those names. I think I have written down, I, can, I think, eight or nine different names yeah. or variations that it has. It's it all pretty much revolves around the same thing, uh, except for stuff like the Schlegel Viper. Because their most prominent feature is what is has been deemed their quote-unquote eyelashes, mm-hmm. which are just these uh, this structure of scales that has just grown above their eyes, and it makes it look like they have really nice eyelashes. Yeah. <laughs> and as far as, you know, the look of it, um, it is a kind of pit viper, so it has the, like, triangular head shape. And it does have kind of like a like a little horn on its nose. It does have a pokier nose. And it has like this, the really uh, tough scales that you can see. It's not very like slimy looking. It is very uh, like brittle looking snake. And the colors, I mean, it varies um, from just the type of uh, viper itself as well as where it's from. So there's ones that are yellow, green, purple i mean it, it changes a Let's, lot I, I will say the one i'm the most shocked is pink yeah because for the most most part when you think of animals that are this colorful there's a reason they're colorful mm-hmm. so the um the yellow pit viper which is probably the most common i'd say at least that's the one that gets pictured the most yeah if we were to tell you the pit viper you're probably going to picture a yellow one or maybe even a green one mm-hmm. well the, the yellow and green kind of makes sense with vegetation flowers where they're blending in yeah the yellow pit viper has been known to blend in with bananas. Yeah, it'll it's, sit it's on, very banana It'll yellow. sit on bananas, and it blends in with the bananas. But then you think, like, pink, like, there's not a lot of naturally occurring pink things. There are some pink flowers. Yeah. But enough to where, at some point in evolution, the pit viper took on a pinkish color as well. Mm-hmm. And Julia did mention how their scales are more rough and brittle looking. I also learned this. The snakes that tend to be more arboreal or ones that tend to be in trees more often will have those rougher scales because they're constantly rubbing against tree bark. Yeah. So when you think like the smooth snakes, like a boa, a, a python, a anaconda, they are more ground dwelling or water dwelling. Mm-hmm. So they want to be smoother so they're, it's, they're able to get around more. But with stuff like pit vipers, they're in trees a lot more often. So they need those rougher scales to kind of help protect them. And as far as how big they are, I mean, they are not big snakes at all. Um, I think the longest I saw that they grow is about 27 inches, so just a little over two feet. Um, and when you think about, especially other types of vipers, that's really small. Because you think about, like, rattlesnakes and um, cotton mouse in the U.S., and they're similar to this, and they're, you know, can grow six, seven feet long sometimes. Yep. 
And that's and we've talked about this, I think, before. I think we mentioned it with sharks. Snakes are one of the kind of creatures that grow as long as they live. Mm-hmm. They never stop growing. So the fact that the biggest we've seen is two and a half, maybe up to three feet, maybe, that's they're barely growing as they age. And one of the reasons they're probably adapted to a smaller size, and we'll get into it when we talk about feeding, is their venom is one of the most potent viper venoms. Yeah. Uh, it is a hemotoxin, which means that it destroys red blood cells, essentially, is how it breaks down, and which will eventually break down organs, stop blood clotting. So that's probably why they're a smaller size, because they don't need to be big. Yeah. They bite, let the venom do the work, and then they're done. They don't need to constrict. They don't need to fight, really. So that's probably one of the reasons they have adapted to be so small. And, you know, where they're from, they uh, they range pretty much... They found are they are found in parts of southern Mexico to Central America to northern parts of South America, um, so they're just you know spread out in that general area, and like we mentioned earlier, they like living in you know trees and vines, um, in uh, wooded and rainforests off the forest floor. Yeah, they're a snake, and as and as far as most people know, snakes are cold blooded, so they cannot regulate their own body temperature. So they like these tropical climates mm-hmm. where. It's warm year-round, yeah. and if they need to cool down, they prob- they usually live near a water source where if they need to cool down, they go and get in the water or cool off by the water. And then moving on to their like hunting, eating habits, like I mentioned earlier, they are venomous. They have the hemotoxic venom that they uh, will bite in and distribute. So what they do when they hunt, they are very much the kind where they bite and then let the venom work. That's all they do. Get a bite in and then be done. Wait for the thing to die and then they will go and swallow the entire thing whole. What they usually prey on are just smaller creatures. Um, they even will eat hummingbirds, but lizards, snakes, frogs, small rodents, whatever is small enough to them, uh, which there is plenty of in these tropical regions. But then since they're so small as well, they have a lot of predators. There are a ton of yeah. predators that eat them. Uh other pit vipers, larger snakes, uh, foxes, eagles, hawks, uh, any other kind of raptor that may live in that area. And then with their venom, if not treated quickly when biting a human, there, there have been reported cases of people dying from a eyelash viper bite. Yeah. If not treated quickly, the odds are that you may not survive or you may lose limbs or whatever it may be. Um, but... For the most part, it's one of those, as long as you're not agitating it, don't do anything to mess with it, stay out of its way, it's not going to do anything to you, just let it be. Um, And with its reproduction, um, I I thought it kind of interesting, they use uh, their sense of smell to find mate. And so, you know, when snakes, what we think of is their, you know, their tongue moving in and out, and it's actually used for smell. It's not used for taste at all. It's used to smell the air, basically. Yeah, and before you move on, I actually do want to touch on that real quick. Yeah. I learned, I got to see if I can find it. I learned the reason they do that, because I we, I knew growing up that it was a smell sort of thing, but I didn't know it's because they have an organ in their mouth that's called the Jacobson's organ, or the actual like scientific technical term is the vomeronasal organ, where it is almost like a, another nose where they're tasting or smelling with, and the, the tongue constantly coming out is them getting the taste of the air, or the chemicals, the pheromones, whatever it may be, bringing it back into their mouth for that Jacobson's organ or the vomeronasal organ. But I'll let you continue. Yeah. So the females are, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, it's ovoviviparous. 
which means they hold the eggs inside them and the eggs actually hatch inside. And then typically they give birth between 6 to 12, but it can go up to um, 10 or 15, 20 even in a, uh, like a single hatchling. Um, but the babies are held inside the female for about six months and then they reach, uh, their sexual maturity and like full grown, um, at about two years old. One thing that I thought was interesting and it's something I never would have thought of. I don't know why it was such a surprising fact to me. Did you know what baby snakes are called? I know I don't. They're called snakelets. That is the actual technical term for a baby snake. It is a snakelet. Never heard of that. I've never ever given it a second thought. Mm-mm. But that is just such a funny thing. It's a snakelet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little snake, essentially. And when the babies do, I'll, I won't say hatch, give birth, whatever it may be. Yeah. When, the, when the baby snakes are finally let out of their mother, they are ready to go right then and there. And yeah. the mother will leave them. There is no raising. There is no protecting. Because when the mother is pregnant, she's most likely not hunting. So as soon as she gives birth, she's going to find food. And the babies are pretty much on their own. But it's not a huge deal. The babies are born with venom, full, like fully ready to go. So there isn't really a huge issue. The only big problem is since they're so tiny, they're up for grabs for a lot of different predators in the area. Mm-hmm. So with the reproduction, there is kind of a uh, like male courtship to it. Um, so there's a thing called the Dance of the Adders, which is when two males will basically compete with each other to reproduce with a female. And it's it's kind of, it's fun to look at. And I saw some pictures of it. And basically two males will like stand straight up in almost like a cobra-like stance and basically just try to intimidate one another. You know, they like, you try, they try to look big, they try to look mean. And this can go on for hours. Like it can last a really, really long time. And it's usually ended when one either falls away or is pushed over. Yep, that's the basically the whole point of it is get the other male on the ground. So like mm-hmm. like Julia said, they're like standing up in like a cobra stance, and they're trying to get the other one on the ground, pin them yeah. essentially, or get them to give up. And like Julia said, it can go for hours. Surprisingly, there are almost no fatalities from this. They are not trying to kill one another. They will not bite each other. They will not try to constrict one another. It is literally just trying to pin the other, which I think is interesting. The fact that it is not a fight to the death sort of thing. Like you might see with lions where those can be fatal fights with uh, bucks and deer. Those can be fatal fights that they go against each other. This is more just like, may the best man win sort of thing. It's a very gentlemanly (laughs) Mm -hmm. game. And since you guys know so far on this podcast, I really enjoy when I learn new words, especially new like scientific technical words. We were, t- we were talking about reproduction. I learned a new word with male snakes. It is called a hemipenis or plural hemipenis. And those are the male reproductive organ of lizards, snakes, uh, that sort of thing. It is the reproductive organ that is inverted. It sits inside the snake, uh, the lizard, whatever it may be, until it is to be used, which then will come out. They will do the sexual reproduction, and then it goes back in. I had no idea that was the term. I had no idea about it. I had never really given it a second thought how it happens or how it goes down. But there you guys go. There's a new word for you. Then I'm sure, as most people are aware, snakes also have heat-sensitive organs. Not only do they have eyesight and they taste the air for chemicals and pheromones, 
they also have a sort of heat vision. And pit vipers, especially, so pit vipers are called pit vipers because of these organs, which are called pits. They're these heat-sensitive organs that uh, sit between the eyes and the nostrils on their head to help them find prey, help them seek out mates, whatever it may be. So in the wild, the, um, the average lifespan is between about five and seven years for the pit viper. Um, and it actually, there's a, there's a lot of uh, these kind of vipers at zoos. You'll see them a lot. And in captivity, they can live up to 20 years. And it's mostly because they're just out of the face of danger, basically. They have less predators, you know, they're taken care of. Um, so they can live up to 20 years in captivity. And although they are very aggressive animals, they are on the exotic animal trade as pets. Um, I would not recommend getting one as a pet. It's not a good idea. Um, but they are seen as pets in some areas. Yeah, and I was going to comment on with Julie talking about the lifespan. And if people didn't know, when you see lifespans for animals, how there's usually a wild one and a in-captivity one... The captivity one is longer for the reasons Julia named because they don't have predators coming after them. They don't have to worry about food source, water source. Uh, the breeding is perfectly fine. So they're going to live longer in captivity as compared to the wild. And then like Julia said, they are not good pets. They are venomous. They can be aggressive if tried to be handled or backed into a corner. They are not good pets. Do not recommend. Honestly, don't go for any kind of exotic pet unless you are a rehabilitation center. Yeah. And sifting through my notes, I actually just found another new word I wanted to share. A lot of people have probably heard a similar word to it. So the new word I learned is called polygyny. The similar word that people may have heard is polygamy. Polygamy is more like multiple marriage partners and humans sort of thing. Polygyny is a similar idea where it's one male mates with multiple females, which in nature tend to be a good thing because it helps boost their numbers a ton. It helps create diversity. So it is a really good thing that they do this polygyny sort of mating. So as we talked about, they are venomous. And just, you know, people confuse confuse venomous and poisonous a lot. And so one way I've heard it before is if it's venomous, it bites you. If it's poisonous, you bite it. So venomous is um, when it's, you know, injected into you from a sting or from a bite. Poisonous is when you ingest it um, or, it, like Jack said, if it like rubs up against you. But venomous is basically just injection into your body. And that wraps up a lot of the more, I'll call, like, factual portion. Now, we have a couple fun facts that are pretty interesting. Um, one of them that I thought is funny, and I kind of touched on it earlier when I said the yellow one tends to blend in with bananas. Well, there have been a couple instances, documented instances where yellow pit viper or eyelash vipers have been shipped out of country or across the world in a shipment of bananas because the people didn't realize they were in there with the bananas because they blend in so well. Uh, another thing going along with their yellow color. So like we said, the yellow color is probably the most common one. And among locals, and these are this is Spanish-speaking countries, it's they call it oropel, which is like bright, flashy, uh, flamboyant. That's what they call that color is like oropel. Oh, another thing to go with some organs, fun fact. So I mentioned that really sensitive heat sensing organ that's on their head. Well, it is so sensitive that it has a thousand nerve endings per square millimeter. And using that organ, they can detect a change in temperature of 0.026 degrees Celsius. 
we would not even be able to feel that. We don't even, we would maybe be able to tell the difference of one degree Celsius. This thing can do less than a tenth of a degree Celsius, uh, that, that change. Um, and so another fun fact that I found is, um, they are lion weight predators. So they basically, you know, will sit there, wait for something to walk by and take advantage of it. Um, well, I learned that they will sometimes come back to specific ambush spots because of the migration season with birds, which is one of their, um, you know, one of their parts of their diet that they eat. So they will literally come back once a year because they know, oh, hey, the birds are migrating right now. I can go back there, you know, easy food kind of thing. Um, and then the last little fun fact I have is there is a uh, myth in some villages in South America that the viper will wink at you and kind of flash its pretty eyelashes at you before it bites you. And, you know, of course, it's not true. Snakes can't blink. They don't have eyelids. But it's it's just funny to see, because like you talked about, having they're all like flashy and pretty mm. and this thing that, you know, they give you a, a little cheeky wink before, you know, they attack you. Yeah. And the thing we'll end on talking about the eyelash viper is its population size. So... It is not it's, – it's that idea that we've gotten into with a couple of these animals where we don't know exactly how many there are. The black market trade doesn't help. Them being shipped out around the world doesn't help. And them being in a tropical climate where we can't search every square inch of it doesn't really help. But we, it is classified as least concern. Mm-hmm. So it means that its numbers may not be great, but we're not worried about it because they're stable. They're not going down. They're not going up. They're a pretty constant – uh, level, so it's something that they're probably keeping an eye on, um, but it's we're not worried about it. We're not doing a ton to try to pump their numbers up. Yeah, and going on that, um, I learned that it was it was classified as endangered, and it got taken off the endangered list in two thousand two, um, just due to more you know conservation efforts, um, you know like zoo breedings stuff like this rehabilitation. Um, so it did get taken off the list. Um, but like we said, you know, it's not exact. It's at risk to habitat loss with deforestation. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's the thing where we just got to look out for them and try our best to, uh, you know, keep it in control. And then I wanted to end on, I did find some interesting things. I think it was on a children's website, but I think anybody can take this and use this knowledge well. So the biggest way you can help if you ever come across creatures like this is one, basically don't do anything. Don't mess with it. Don't get closer. Don't try to pick it up. You just leave it be. That's the biggest thing. Just leave those kind of creatures be. They don't want to mess with you unless you do something to them, but they don't want to do anything to you. They're just trying to get along. And the other big thing is if you do see one, talk about it because that's one big thing is bringing things up, putting it out there into the world so other people know about it, bringing it into the public sphere can be really helpful and knowing where these other creatures might be, where people might find them can be really helpful to just make sure that we take care of all these creatures. That wraps up our episode about the eyelash viper. There were some couple housekeeping things we wanted to go over. We came up with the idea of doing fun episodes every now and then. And one idea we came up with is once a month, we discuss an animal that is extinct. Now we could go as far back as when we were all single celled organisms way back when we could do dinosaurs Or we could even do something as recent as the black rhino or the Tasmanian tiger, which only went extinct within the past hundred years. 
so it's something that we think we would be fun to spice things up, get some more interesting animals in here, and doing that probably about once a month um, and seeing how that pans out. Once again, follow us on Twitter for all updates about everything. It's at CTTC Podcast. We're also in the works of making an Instagram and TikTok. Uh, I will try to get the same handle. If it is a different handle on both of those, I will let everyone know what it is. But as always, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next week for our episode on the Galapagos tortoise. I'd also like to thank my friend, the musical artist known as Shades, for creating this amazing intro and outro for this podcast. I highly recommend checking out his other work.